Amen. I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, grab that uh, black one in the seat in front of me because we're going to be using it. The, the verses aren't going to be on the screen today because I want you to dive into the Word with me. And we're looking at the book of Jonah. Jonah is right between Obadiah and Micah. We're real familiar with those minor prophets. If you need a, a little hint, it's 763 in this black Bible. But if you uh, don't find it or you have your own copy and you can't find it quickly, there is no shame in turning to the table of contents to try to find those minor prophets because they're hard, hard to find in there. So please do that because we're going to be looking at Jonah. We're going, getting back to our sermon series. We're on uh, part 21 of walking through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And today we're going to look at Jonah and his story. And we learn more from his story than we do from his message. He's a prophet. God speaks to him. And through him, but he also speaks to us clearly, I think, through his story. I don't know about you, but one of the reasons I've heard through the years people don't come to church is because the church is full of hypocrites. You ever hear that one? I hear that one. And, I, and when I hear that one, I, I say to them, well, come join us. You'll feel right at home. Be because we're all... In a very real sense, hypocrites. Christians are hypocrites. Jonah's a big hypocrite. And we're going to look at him. And I am ashamed to say that I find myself far too closely related to Jonah in this story, in this passage. Now we think about Jonah and Jonah and the, the whale. But it's not a whale. It's a great fish. We know that if you know the scripture at all. But we think it's a children's story. It's not. In fact, we've sent the children out of here so we could talk about it like adult. Now we're, we're not doing that for that reason. But we are looking at this. And, and I want you to see it not just as what uh, someone portrayed in the cartoon-like fashion, Pinocchio inside this big whale or whatever. But we're looking at it as a story where, where Jonah's running from God and the call of God on his life. And God... Loves him too much to just let him run. He pursues him. Because you can run from God, and some of you are in this place today, and maybe you've done that in, in several different ways, or maybe some of you are following along online on our live stream on, on Facebook, and you're, you're running from God. You can run from God. We've done that at various times in our lives. But you can't outrun God. And He loves you so much that He's going to pursue you and bring you back. The story of Jonah and the great fish is not so much the punishment of the great fish, but the provision. You see, God is not trying to punish Jonah. And He doesn't try to punish us for our sin. He brings us back. He's trying to bring Him back, not pay Him back. And that's what He does for us too. And that's why He sent Jesus, that's why Jesus came to this earth, to bring us back, to reconnect us to the Father, because we couldn't connect to Him in His holiness, in His perfection. So He came down and lived the life we were intended to live to reconnect us, so we would not run anymore. And so that's the message for you if you have never entered into a relationship, or you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you've been running. Maybe today's the day you stop. Because as we look at these, these verses, when we're not going to look at, 
every verse. There's only 48 of them. Last week we looked at John 6 and there's 71 verses in John 6. There's only 48 verses in the whole four chapters of Jonah. We're not going to look at every one of them, but we're going to look at the whole story. And it starts in Jonah 1. It begins with, we're going to look at verses 1 uh, through 3. So if you would look at those with me, we'll begin our journey through Jonah and see uh, what God has for us. Because the Bible is not so much about characters to emulate, except one, Jesus. It's more about a Him, a Savior, who adore. But we learn a lot from the characters in Scripture and the way they respond to God and the way God responds to them. So we look at the story, begins, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord, the presence of the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So let's just stop there for just a moment. We get the three main characters of the whole book listed there. One are these Ninevites, this great city. If you look through the book of Jonah, and I would encourage you to read it on your own, it takes about seven minutes to read these 48 verses. I timed it a couple, three times this week as I read through that. It doesn't take long at all, and you get the whole picture. And as you read through that, that book, you see uh, the, the main character in here is not Jonah. The main character is God and God doing His work. He's the only good character there. And God starts uh, this book out by saying he, he spoke to Jonah. He's given him a message. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, how do you know what God wants you to do? How does the word of the Lord come to you? Because there are times when it comes and you may or may not know it, or there are times that it comes and you do know it, and yet you go, like Jonah goes, the opposite direction. So let me just speak a moment about how God speaks to us in our day. You know, God spoke to the prophets, and I think He probably spoke to them audibly, gave them a clear understanding of what He wanted them to speak to His people. Most of the time, those prophets went to Israel or Judah, his people. This time he sends Jonah to these pagan Ninevites. That's the second character here. This great city and all through the book of Jonah you see this word great. There's there's this great city and this great storm comes up and this great fish and this great rage at the end of the book of Jonah. So you you just follow the pattern of the, the greatness and the whole message is God's great love for all people and how He wants to save everybody no matter who they are. And He wants us to have that same kind of heart for everybody too. So it's a very missional kind of book. But we got to know a little bit about this second character, these Ninevites. Now Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. In history, you can read about that. The Assyrians came before the Babylonians in biblical history And they were a wicked, evil people, and God finally gets fed up with them. And so he wants Jonah to take a message to them. Now, wouldn't you love for the preacher's message to be this short? 
eight words in the English Bible. Yet, in 40 days, and God will destroy Nineveh. That's the whole message we see in the book of Jonah that Jonah proclaims. Yet 40 days and God will destroy Nineveh. Eight words. Five words in Hebrew. Anybody up for a five-word sermon? For God so loved the world. Let's go home. Right? Five words have changed many people's lives. And in these eight words, we're going to cover them in a little more detail. Sorry about that. We, but I'm not sorry about that either. We just need to know what God was doing with Jonah. He's sending him to pronounce judgment on these evil people. Now, what made them so evil? Well, stories tell us, history tells us. One of the things they did, and this is just give you a glimpse of their kind of, of character, is they were experts at skinning people alive and keeping them alive. Now, if you're a hunter, you know what that would involve for an animal, but if you're... Um, a sadist or something, I guess that's what would be involved with people. And they would not only skin them alive and keep them alive, but then they would bury them in the sand, the, their enemies in the sand, and up to their, their neck and leave their head out and, and pull their tongue out and nail their tongue down and leave them there to die of dehydration. You got that picture? These are wicked, evil people. They are the enemies of Israel, and Jonah knows that. And Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do with going to them, even if the message is that God's going to destroy them. Because Jonah later on tells us in chapter 4, he knows that God is a God of grace and mercy and slow to anger and full of unfailing, steadfast love. Basically, Jonah is saying, you're going to be good to my enemy. And I'm not going to go. And so what he does, and that's, that's the, the first main character is God. Second one is the Ninevites. And then Jonah, of course, we see his story here. And, and Jonah decides he's going to go as far away from the call of God as he can possibly go. And so he heads to Tarshish. Now, I asked Jennifer last night if this looked like the Mediterranean Sea so I can help you see this, this deal here, all right? So here, here's where Israel is in this map of the Mediterranean. So you, hey, you might want to use your own map. If you've if you got a hand, you've got a map right there. And, and Israel's over here in the, on that part of the Mediterranean Sea. Here's the sea. This is this space here. And Tarshish is way over here. Tarshish is in Spain, 2,500 miles away from Israel. Now, Nineveh is only 500 miles, and Nineveh is way in here toward the wrist area. And so... Nineveh is only 500 miles away. So Jonah decides, I'm gonna, it's, it's the ends of the earth for those folks. They, they didn't know anything beyond Spain at that, at that time. And Jonah decides he's going to catch a boat and get as far away from the presence of God that he can possibly go. Have you been there? You just, for whatever reason, God's called you to do something or, or God's been working in your life and working to change some things in your life and you start to run you don't really want to do those things that's the question all these questions on the back of your bulletin by the way they're for you 
self-evaluation questions. And the first one is this. Have you ever run when God called you to do something you didn't want to do? God called you to forgive someone you don't really want to forgive. They've hurt you deeply. They've caused you a lot of pain, and you want them to feel your anger or your bitterness or your hatred. And you don't want to forgive. God calls you to reconcile. Make things right with, with them. And, and you really don't want to. And you're going to get away from that. And you're, you're going to avoid anybody that says anything about that. Or, or, or God's called you to serve or, or to give or to connect to a small group or, or any number of things God calls us to do for our own good and for the expansion of His kingdom. Lots of times we run the other way. Anybody in here ever run away from home when, before the age of 16? Before the age of 16? I mean, 16 and after, you kind of you know a little bit more about what life is all about, and you, you might make a more serious decision. But before the age of 16, you don't really know, do you? I can remember as a six-year-old, my mother did something, said something I didn't like, or, I mean, she knew a lot better, and she knew me a lot better, so she just let me run. I was, we were living at 407 East 4th in Hereford, Texas, and, and about three blocks away was Dameron Park, and there were uh, slides, and there were merry-go-rounds, and all sorts of things at Dameron Park, and so I ran away, and I ran away to the park. I mean, here I was, six, I was free, and I was, I was going to just enjoy life because my mother made me mad, or my mother said something I didn't want to hear, or my mother probably made me do something I needed to be doing. Anybody else in here ever run away from home? Just, just raise your hand here. Please, please tell me. Are your kids ever run away from home? There are no rebels in here whatsoever except the preacher, right? You, you know? You know what? I, I was running away from something. I really wasn't running to the park. I just kind of stumbled on it. That's what we do when we run, isn't it? We run away and not to and why do we do that? And how do we run? Where, where do we go? How do we run in, in our day? Don't, don't we run? A lot of people will run from the Lord by, with, a, with a bottle or a pill bottle or just numb their stuff or, or, or a computer screen or pornography. They'll run. They'll, they'll just not want to feel, not want to do stuff. And we know that's destructive. Other people run to the shopping mall or to the store, their favorite store or online to, to order something and they, they think the next purchase is going to fill them. Augustine said, May the Lord make us restless until we find our rest in Him. But somehow, some way, we're, I, maybe I, I'm speaking for myself now since you guys aren't big runners, but I. I run to other stuff, idle stuff that never seems to fill my heart. Only the Lord can do that because I was made for the Lord and to, feel, to fulfill His purposes for my life. He's got a design for me. It's, it's like if we were a fish. And we're somehow, some way, we think we're tired of being in the water. 
And if we could just get out of this water, then we would be free. But you know, a fish out of water is not free. A fish out of water is dead. Eventually dead. We were made for God. But He's got this plan for us. When we run from it, we're not free. We're not free to do our own thing, be our own people. Dead. Because we're not full of the abiding peace and, and the joy and the, the abundant life that He's come to give us. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we look at this whole book, we see that's where this begins. Now, I know that's just three verses and we've got a whole lot more to cover. So I want us to continue through this and, and look a little bit more. But we know that fleeing from God's presence always leads to problems. But God provides a way to bring us back. And that's what verse 17 says. God provided or God arranged or God appointed or God prepared a what? In verse 17, a great fish. Now I wonder if Jonah saw that fish as provision. If he saw that fish as a way back on track. Or if he just saw it as God's rescue. Because in the belly of that fish, he begins to pray. And in chapter 2, all we get is Jonah's prayer in the belly of that fish. Verse 1 says, And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. And I have written in my Bible in the, in the margins, I bet he did. I don't know if this is a prayer of last resort, but if I'm in Jonah's spot, it is for me, Lord, get me out of this mess. Now, there's a whole uh, other sermon that deals with the, the problems that Jonah has caused, not only himself and fleeing God, but he's caused the sailors as well. They lose their cargo. They lose their, their purpose. But here's what happens to them in chapter 1. As they lost all of the stuff that they thought was so important, they found God. And they believed in God more than Jonah believes in God. And they begin to pray, these pagan sailors, after the storm was calm, they began to pray to Jonah's God. While Jonah is in the belly of that fish. God was arranging things. Providing for people. Even for Jonah and his disobedience. Has God done that for you? That's the second question on your outline. Has God been faithful to me even in my disobedience? And the answer to that is absolutely He has. We're going to see that more in chapter 4 as we get there. As we think about what God arranges for Jonah there in that plant and in that worm and in that wind. If you know the story, if not, we're going to get a little more familiar with it in chapter 4, verses uh, 6, 7, 8 along those lines. God is providing all along the way. He's providing deliverance. He's providing comfort. He's providing blessings. He's providing discomfort. And He's providing discipline so that Jonah will get back on track with what God wants him to be. Jonah says and prays in the, the midst of the belly of that whale or that fish. In verse 8, those who worship false gods turn their backs on God, all God's mercies. And then verse 9, but I will offer sacrifices to you with song and pray. I will, 
And Jonah says, I will fulfill my vows, I wonder to myself I, again. Really? Jonah, you're going to do all you've said you're going to do for the Lord? But he does make this great declaration at the end of verse 9. For salvation comes from the Lord alone. Can we talk about that for just a moment? Salvation. We think of salvation and we think of conversion. We think of regeneration or, or being born again. And that is a part, a huge part of salvation. When we cross that line and say, Lord, we surrender. We give ourselves to you. We know we can't make it on our own. We admit we're sinners. We believe what you've done for us is on the cross is for us. And we choose to follow you. That's salvation, yes. But that's not all it is. Because Jonah is praying this, and Jonah already has a relationship with the Lord. He's his prophet already. There is more to this. And God is doing something in Jonah, and he's doing something in you to help us become more of who he wants us to be. Help us become more for us, like Jesus. And salvation is not just regeneration. Salvation is also a, what we call in theology sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus. Growing. So lots of times in the church we have people who have been or made some kind of commitment, regenerated, but they never get past that infancy stage. They never grow. They never become all that God wants them to be. So when we Think about that, and we think about what God is doing, even when we, we don't do what we know God is calling us to do to grow. We're not in the Word. By the way, how do we know what God is calling us to do? It's the same way Jonah knew. The Word of the Lord will come to us. How does the Word of the Lord come to us? It comes through His Word. That's how God speaks. He speaks through people. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks to, through prayer. But primarily, He speaks in His Word. He's given us His book so that we know His character and we know the way He's worked in the past and we know what we can expect from Him in the future. And so I encourage you, if you're not, dive in deep. Get on a reading plan. Start small if you need to, but make sure. Make sure who you're becoming is who God wants you to become. And not just some idea out there of what you think is right. Because there's a way that seems right to man. The scripture says, and in the end, it leads to death. It leads to destruction. So that's, a, that's chapter 2 of Jonah's prayer. Now here's something incredible that happens in chapter 3. In the, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Because you know, you know what happened? The, the fish spews him up, spits him up, vomits him up on dry land. It, isn't that interesting? You know, when we eat bad fish, um, we vomit. When the fish ate a bad man, he vomited. I've never really looked at it like that until this week. He, he spewed up the disobedient Jonah and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Isn't that a good word? 
God gives us another chance. A second chance. For some of us, a third and a fourth, and He never quits. He never gives up on us. He continues to grow and mature His prophet Jonah. He'll do the same thing for you and for me. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And Jonah follows God's orders this time. Verse 3 says, This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh in chapter 3, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, and he must have been glad to say these words. He doesn't call them to repentance. He doesn't say, I'll help you connect to the Lord. Here's what he is glad about. Here's his message. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And Jonah was happy about that. Here's the question I have. And here's a hard question for you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. Do we want God to save our enemies? Do we really believe God's salvation is for the people we don't like? The people we may even hate? I don't know who you think about when you think put people in that category. I know if I was a coach, I would not like the guys in the stands who think they are great coaches on Friday night. My family are a family of coaches, and so I would encourage you, if you go to a game, you yell things encouraging as best you can, and do not yell at the coaches. Their livelihoods depend on whether a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid can perform on Friday nights. Think about that for just a moment. If you've raised 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, you can't get them to do what you want to do, and you're with them all the time. It's hard. So I would just, just that's just a little blurb in support of our coaches in, in this community. Would you pray for them and help them? And so when we think about the people that are difficult in our lives, are there in-laws that we might classify as, as outlaws that are hard to love? Are there, there bosses that are overbearing and we can't understand what they're, they're doing or how they're trying to lead or, or they're selfish? And, uh, or when we think about the, the enemies, the difficult people in, in our lives, where do our our minds go maybe to an ex-spouse or someone that, that's hurt us deeply in some way. It's hard to think about what Jonah is going through unless we can put ourselves in his shoes for just a moment. The hard people to love because definitely Jonah does not want God to spare his enemy. That's not how Jesus comes, is it? Jesus comes and says incredible things like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, I believe that Jonah was a real character and all that happens here is, is real because Jesus affirmed him and said, the only sign you'll be given is the sign of Jonah, three days in the belly of the fish and he was talking about his own three days in that tomb in the resurrection. But Jesus gave credence to Jonah, but he wasn't like Jonah. 
in the fact that he loved even the difficult people to love. His enemies. See, that's good news for you and me because the scripture says at one time all of us were enemies of God. All of us were going our own way, doing our own thing. And Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, reached down and loved us. That's the message of Jonah. That's the message of the Bible. The good news is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why does God love sinners? Why does God seek sinners? Why does God save sinners? Why does God send sinners like Jonah? Because God loves sinners. Now put it in this frame of mind for just a moment. In our world, in our day, what do you and I have in common with the Taliban and with ISIS from a few years ago and with radical Islam? And what do we have in common with whoever else, the Democrats or... or Anybody you think might be trying to destroy our country. What do we have in common with them? We're all sinners. Who fall short of the glory of God. Who need saving. Let's never forget that. That you have never locked eyes with one solitary soul made in the image of God for whom God did not die. I can't fully understand that kind of love with my head. But I believe it. And I understand it with my heart. God loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved. If I'm going to be like Him, and I'm going to grow and mature to be like Him, then I've got to love other folks. God doesn't operate according to my plan. I'm called to operate according to to his, and that's the fourth question I see there. Do you get angry? You get angry when God doesn't do things your way. It might not be anger. It might be a passive anger or, or passive aggressiveness, whatever you want to call it. But let's look at chapter 4 for just a moment and see what Jonah does. At the beginning of chapter 4, we see as God uh, sends that message to the Ninevites, there's a great revival that takes place. Now, any preacher that has this kind of response to their message has got to be excited, but not Jonah. There are hundreds of thousands of people who repent. The whole city of Nineveh, some, some historians would say there might have been as many as 600,000 people. We see in this passage, in chapter 4, there's 120,000 who didn't know their left hand from their right hand. Most people think maybe that was children or people who had had no knowledge of God whatsoever, who were spiritually uh, naive or, or dead. So there may have been some 600,000 people in Nineveh who repent. And God doesn't destroy. And that can still happen in our day. We'll turn back to God and do things His way and seek Him and depend on Him and look to Him and not our selfishness and our pride and our, and our own even our own wisdom, even our own knowledge, we'd look to Him and His Word and what, how we're to treat other people and how we're to deal with life. He too, He will relent in this day too. 
not bring about the judgment that he promised Nineveh. So he calls off the dogs and Jonah's mad. Look at it, verse 1 of chapter 4. This change of plans, not bringing devastation and destruction on Nineveh, upset Jonah and he became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, slow to angry, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead alive than I'd, be, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. He's angry because God has now made him a false prophet and his message didn't come true. But he's angry because God is not doing things his way. And God asked him, is, is it right for you to be angry about this? Are you angry that I was merciful and gracious to somebody besides you, Jonah? Have you forgotten that I delivered you with that great fish? Have you forgotten that I gave you a second chance? Sometimes we do that, don't we? We have been touched by God's grace and we understand His forgiveness for us. But that, and that's what we want. We want grace for ourselves, but we want judgment and we want justice for our enemies. And so does Jonah. Like I said, I'm a lot more like Jonah than I want to be. So when we look at, at what God is doing here, we see God's calling to question not only Jonah's action because he's finally done what he, God called him to do, but he's calling into account his attitude, his heart. And he wants his heart to match God's own heart for people who are far from God. These Ninevites. Now sometimes Christians... Let's just, let's just be honest. We get upset with people who don't follow God and don't do things in a godly fashion and don't seek the Lord. But why should we expect lost people to act any other way than lost? You see, they're our mission field, not our enemies. There are opportunities all around us. And God is showing Jonah, and here's how he does it. He teaches him. And we'll end with this, this scene here. In verse 6, the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow because Jonah's ready for God to bring judgment on Nineveh. And he sits out on the east, toward the east of Tarshish, and he builds his shelter. And it's not enough to, to keep the sun off of him. So God sends this leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. And this eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, don't miss this. That word, very grateful, is not strong enough. That's what the New Living Translation says. He was deliriously happy about this plant. Now, you think, what's the big deal about that? So he had a little shade. Well, there was no shade. That, that brought him comfort. But more than that, Jonah saw this as the favor of God. That God was about to bring judgment that he promised on Nineveh. And now he sent him this this plant as a, a sign to him that God was lining up with what Jonah wanted to do. That God was lining up with his thinking. 
But God had other plans. God teaches Jonah. And here's the thing. Sometimes God provides things that we would call blessings like this plant. And sometimes God provides discipline, and that's what he does for Jonah. And we're not so thankful for that. Look at it. In verse 7. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. Like a, you ever had a tomato plant worm? You know, it just eats the whole plant. That's what this worm does. It eats the whole plant. And the shade is gone. The shade has withered. And as the sun grew hot, God, God arranged. That's that word again. He arranged for the fish. He arranged for the plant. He arranged for the worm. He arranged for the wind. God's in control of all that's happening here. And he's still making arrangements for you and for me. Will we be sensitive enough to know when God is talking, speaking to us, calling us? God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah and the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? God can do whatever he wants to do. God can extend mercy and grace to whoever he wants to extend mercy and grace. God is God. And God is reminding Jonah of that very fact. And Jonah says, yes, even angry enough to die. You've basically done away with me being a prophet. You've, you've done away with my comfort. You've done away with my plan. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. That's grace. He came quickly. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's the end of the book. What you see and what I see is, is mission from here. It's open-ended. What are you going to do about it? Where does Jonah go? What does Jonah do? What happens to the, the Ninevites from here? What happens to Assyria? We'll see later God uses them to bring judgment on His people. God has His hand, sovereign hand on everything. And now the question is, will we submit to Him? His call. Quit running. What is it God calls you to? Here's, here's the thing I know He calls all of us to every single one of us, to experience His grace, His goodness, and not just for our own sake and our own comfort and our own satisfaction, to dispense it on a lost, broken, even evil world. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the time you've given us in your word, in the story of Jonah, the true story of reality, our own realities, Lord. We run. We don't do what you call us to do. 
Lord, we need your help. We need your power. We need your discipline. We need your direction. Lord, we, we ask that you would do something in our day like you did in the day of Jonah. That you would bring revival to our land. That we as Americans would turn to you. Turn away from our sin like the Ninevites did. Lord, we don't want to think of ourselves as evil like they were. But Lord, in reality, compared to your holiness, we are. We've gone astray. And there are people in this place, even now, who are more concerned with their, themselves and their own comfort and pleasure than we are about you and your kingdom. Father, we'd... We know the days are short. So help us, Father, today to do what you called us to do. Today to be faithful. Father, I pray for somebody in this place who, who's never come to know you. I pray they'd, they'd know you and your goodness and your desire to lavish your love upon them. Father, I pray... For the rest of us who've experienced that love at some point, to have a heart for the folks in this community and beyond, to dispense your grace upon them. In your holy name we pray, Jesus.